Hi, film addicts. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we have a very special guest, John Edwards. John has written numerous episodes of Tom and Jerry, one of my favorite, favorite cartoons ever. And he's also written books for Walt Disney's legacy properties, such as OMG Frozen, Frozen, The Incredibles, and Wreck-It Ralph. And currently, John Edwards is the head of story for San Francisco-based animation company, Luminous Blue Limited. Let's welcome John to the show. Hi, John. Hi, Marilyn. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a blast uh, listening to the shows, other podcasts. I'm a new film addict, but I'm having <laughs> I'm having time uh, listening to the guests that you've had on. I, actually, I feel quite honored because you've had quite a number of very accomplished people. Um, I'll, I'll do my best to, you know, hold up my end of the bargain and oh, be an yes. interesting guest on your show today. I think so. Thank you for that. And I'm just so lucky to have amazing guests on the show like yourself and the um, previous guests and future guests. Just um, they're so generous telling their stories, how they made it in Hollywood and how they started. And, um, you know, I just wanted to say, oh, my gosh, Tom and Jerry, that's amazing. Um, you're going to have so many people listening to your show because you've done uh, legacy uh, properties from Disney, but I have to ask you our most famous uh, question is absolutely. what is one of your favorite movies growing up as a kid that you just fell in love with? Oh, without question. I mean, and there were a lot, but without question, I think it has to be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, I was just the right age for Raiders. Uh, my dad took me one summer uh, when it came out for my birthday and um, I was like, 10. So I was just, I mean, I was just right in the market demographic for that movie, but it just blew my mind. I sat there with my eyes bugging out, my jaw wide open the entire time. Um, it was unlike anything I'd really seen at that point. Um, the adventure and of course, Harrison Ford, I was already a fan from star Wars and Blade Runner. Um, but it was just, it was such a, a well-told action story. And I think that's what really stuck with me. I was old enough to appreciate how amazing the script was, um, as well as how much fun it was to watch. And then I come to, to realize that it was based on old, you know, movie serials and radio show serials. And so it actually not only inspired my love of movies and writing and, and entertainment industry, but it also, um, fostered an entire new appreciation for me um, of old film, of, of old radio shows. And that's one of the things I like to listen to the most nowadays are old uh, radio shows like The Shadow, Gunsmoke, that are very much in the same vein as Raiders. Just, you know, they came much, much earlier before you had directors like Spielberg and you had the technology um, to tell those stories the way we tell them now. So... Oh, yeah. Raiders so that would be it. Raiders without question. Raiders of the Lost Ark. What a fun action adventure. And Harrison Ford is just so charming as charisma on screen. I mean, like, even as a girl, I was like, ah, that's so cool. You know? <laughs> I, Women wanted to be with him. Men <laughs> wanted to be him. I mean, it was the perfect. I mean, how can you? He's Han Solo, man. How could you go wrong? You know? It's yes. just, I can't imagine anybody. It's one of those roles where you just can't imagine anybody doing that role besides him is just 
it was just meant to be, right? Yeah, the, the dream team, Spielberg and Harrison uh -huh. Ford, and amazing script, the writer of that, and the production value, just so fun, action and fun and adventure. When you go, when you want to go to the movies, that's what I want to see. And uh, the ex exactly, that's it's the kind of it's like escapism, but it's also there's more to it than that. But at the bottom, at the end of the day, it's just a great fun film to watch, and you can't go wrong with it, right? Yeah, and um, I have a little secret to tell you. Can I share it with you? Okay. <laughs> I, Just you, me, and millions of other of our closest friends <laughs> and our listeners. I actually did a, a little um a comedy spoof called Independent Jones. So I did my own version. Oh <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. I did it. Uh, Independent Jones is on his quest to find the Holy Bowl with. Age superheroes, a uh, wandering woman, cobweb man, you know, <laughs> liquid good. man, uh, just uh, oh my gosh, yeah. So, um, I did that like one of my very first shorts. So, um, and, and so speaking of old radio shows like The Shadow, I'm gonna watch that. Um, I love those kind of things. And you even said X minus one, but you know, what's X really minus one's an old science fiction kind of like a kind of like a Twilight Zone, but it's it's definitely very clearly in the science fiction oh I realm. Love. not so much the fantastical like twilight zone obviously got into sometimes oh. um, but just great kind of pulpy science fiction um but then i think of all of them i mean the shadow is great but gunsmoke actually was one of the ones that surprised me the most the old radio shows of gunsmoke are i think minute for minute as good as any drama that we still have today I mean, it was amazing to me this was done so long ago because I figured, you know, that they'd be the stories would be a little more quaint and, you know, a little more conservative um, sensibilities or whatever. But no, I mean, this was hard hitting, gritty, you know, very real, very relevant drama. And William Conrad is Matt Dillon is just to this day, he's Matt Dillon to me, <laughs> you know, his voice. He had just one of those perfect commanding voices that, you know, you knew him as soon as he did any role on the radio. You're like, oh, my God, that's what I'm coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, and, it's and been a treat to discover those. And right now what's really popular is old-fashioned radio shows on podcasts as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how I listen to my, well, it's actually not a podcast per se, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a computer streaming, um, station, I guess you'd call it, um, AM 1710 to, to give the guy a little plug there. Um, he has tens of thousands of hours of shows. And what's particularly great about that one is that he plays them on like this date in history. So like, so for example, today, if I were to be listening, I'm hearing shows that were that were played exactly 30, 40, 50 years ago on this date, and they include the commercials in between. <laughs> so it's really like a time capsule as well. Wow. You know, yeah. of course, most of the commercials are all about Chesterfield, which is, you know, <laughs> we're going to hear, we're going to spend a lot of time on today, but you know. Yeah, and a lot of, um, uh, uh, Chewing tobacco and cigarettes, but um, but speaking of um, old-fashioned radio shows, I just film finished one uh, on Thrilling Stories podcast called Identity Theft, and it was so fun, and I can't wait to do another one. But um, they're they're amazing, 
if you can find oh, a writer, really yeah, if you find a writer to do an old fashioned film noir, oh yeah. And I was just very lucky with that that one. Um, it's Stolen Stories podcast with uh, Identity Theft. It was all star oh. cast and Emmy winning composer Leonard Wolf. So we just finished wow. that one. So yeah, I, as you know, I'm pretty busy with podcasts. <laughs> well, I was just getting ready to say you are you are a Renaissance gal. You are you're into like everything. Well, this is, this is very- in lockdown, you know, you got to be productive because otherwise <laughs> I think you would just focus on the um, depressing news and I just couldn't do it anymore. I was just like, and, and a lot of people were depressed. So basically that sprung out of um, people were depressed, not working and to just encourage people to, to do something and just feel, you know, feel better working. And everyone was very happy to, uh, I think, to work. I, I think that's true. I, I um, I've stopped watching the news other than just headlines just so i can know just in broad brush what's going on in the world but it's like yeah i can't deal with the news anymore and i actually uh deleted my facebook account i said you know i, I gotta focus on things that are more uplifting and not, not even just uplifting but just satisfying so i went back to work yeah you know, myself into my work and also i've been renovating my house too so oh, wow. if i get to a point where i just can't tap another key on the keyboard then i'll take a break and i'll just go hang some drywall or whatever i'm converting my garage into a a more appropriate um work office oh that's 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 great yeah and and speaking of so in your work office um i'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure there's a big movie screen but i want to ask you what is one of your favorite criterion movies that perhaps inspired you on your journey to be um filmmaker producer writer sure um Actually, I'm not sure if this is technically a Criterion movie, but I was thinking about this. Um, is Casablanca, which you know, that's like saying, you know, it's like for a writer saying, you know, oh, my favorite author is Shakespeare. But it's true though. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, Casablanca was actually a film that um, I was familiar with, but really, really got to know well um, beyond just enjoying it as an audience member. Um, I've studied it in film school and, and it occurs to me that Casablanca, in my opinion, is one of the most perfect films ever made. Uh, anything you want to study about film and storytelling, Casablanca has an example of it. You know, if you want to learn about how to write a good romance, well, oh, there yeah. you go. Okay. If you want to write, you know, the, the cool anti-hero, well, that's <laughs> there too. How do you do, you know, believable humor and and characters that that stick with you that's there too you know um and you're uh, and as far as a redemption story goes you know when rick decides to join the fight again at the end i mean it's just you're all but standing up and cheering so um that would be one of mine and so my feeling is you know as I'm watching it, I'm like, that's what I want to write. I want to write something as good as Casablanca. Hopefully, you know, every time I put pen to paper, that's what I'm aspiring to is something that no matter how you look at it, it's just a solid film that moves you every single time. You know, and when Rick has the flashback about, you know, reading the letter in the rain and as the as the drops hit the ink and it runs, it's just you know it just crushes me every single time. You know it never gets threadbare. Nothing about that film ever gets um, boring or pat. And so to be able to write something that moves people that way and is, and that lasts over time, I think that's where 
uh, that's where I draw my inspiration from is is Casablanca, definitely. Yeah, Michael it, Kirk was a great it was a great film. And and speaking of you were describing that beautiful scene in the rain where he's reading the letter. That is a, a beautiful scene that is haunting and, and just foretelling and just so emotional and captivating. So as a writer, or can you share us one of your favorite scenes and your favorite directors um, from from a movie that you love? Yeah, actually, you know what? I was thinking about that too. And of course I could pick anything from Casablanca and that, and that actually that scene with the rain, I think is, is one of my favorites because nothing is really said. And with film, you're telling a story in pictures, not with words. And the, the interplay of the image of the rain actually on words, literally dissolving words, and you know and then bogey's expression you don't have to say anything you know you don't have to belabor the point you don't have to have an uh an actor or a character talking about how bad they feel and and kind of spelling out for the audience what's happening it's like we see it and because we see it we feel it and so for me that's that's actually um just to just to pick out one example that's a perfect example of how to tell a film how to tell a story in film right um Absolutely. and it doesn't it doesn't take long to, to have the impact hit you and again like i said you don't have to have people telling you what's going on which is kind of defeating the purpose anyway yeah so that would be i'm gonna go back to casablanca on that sure one, one sure and um favorites. you know and so um can you share one of your favorite directors that you love <laughs> Yeah, um, actually, Ridley Scott's one of my favorites, a more modern um, director, Alien. Um, Blade Runner is, is next to Casablanca, depending on my mood and the day. It's either <laughs> Casablanca or Blade Runner that are my favorite movies. Um, and so Ridley Scott, for that reason, um, the sort of gritty, dystopic view that he had, you know, the way he sort of brings that, he creates those worlds and makes those um, very engaging backdrops in which to tell very human stories. You know, again, you don't think necessarily of Alien as a as a human story or or even Blade Runner necessarily, but at their heart, they really are. You know, and I think that's why they last, as opposed to just being one more special effects laden kind of movie. You know, it doesn't work if there's no story. And I think Ridley does a great job of bringing visual spectacle with you know a very intimate story together yeah and our audience is saying um a lot of our audience is like new tiktok audience snapchat and uh, youtubers uh, and they're like oh thanks those suggest that your guests have suggested the best movies ever and blade runner <laughs> is a big hit with our audience they're like that is the best oh. movie ever <laughs> it is it was it was fantastic um I was, God, I was, I think I was only like 11 when it came out. And it, it actually was the first R rated movie that my dad let me see. <laughs> I think it was, because Harrison Ford was in it, right? So we were thinking, oh, how bad could it be? And, you know, Han Solo's in it. Um, and it's science fiction because I've always been a huge science fiction fan. And I, I absolutely loved it. You know, it was unlike anything I ever had ever seen. And uh, fun fact several years later, not that I would have any idea that this would happen, but 
when I first got to L.A., I actually got to sit down with Bud Yorkin, who was one of the co-producers of the film. And, of course, a lot of people will know Bud Yorkin from working with Norman Lear on shows like All in the Family and Good Times and stuff like that. Wow. Um, I got to sit in his office for 45 minutes and just talk with him about Blade Runner. You know, and he was kind of dishing on things. and uh, I just couldn't, you know, I'm just in awe of it. But um, That's a cool story. And you probably see the posters and everything. And yeah, that moment when you're in somebody's office on the lot and you're just like, everything comes full fruition. You're like, I'm here. I'm here. What a... What a great feeling that is. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, the whole time you're sitting there, you know, you're doing your best to have a conversation with. But of course, you know, in our heads, we're all like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm, you know, we're, we're <laughs> doing the whole fanboy geeking out. Oh, please don't let me say something stupid. Oh, you know, all this conversation is going on inside your head. Like, just don't let me look like an idiot. Part of this <laughs> yeah, the, like the inside. That's like, yeah, so cute. And um, I have well, to ask. If I did, he was at least very great. He never said anything if I did. So he was um, very great. <laughs> what a great host and what a great producer. And I have He's to a very. He was a very gracious man and, and an incredibly talented producer, but also a really just very genuine person, at least you know, in my in my experience with him. Oh, that's really beautiful. I love to hear those great stories. And so, do, so does our audience. And I have to ask you something fun because on our show, we love fun stuff. So um, sure. so can you do the a line from Mask of Zorro? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're reading my notes, aren't you? It was my favorite, my, when you were, I was anticipating the favorite line question. And I've been thinking about it for a couple of days. And I thought, you know, it's it's the one that sticks with me because Mask of Zorro is it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's such a fun film, but it's also so well crafted um, that there's this, there are these great moments of humor in this in this what is essentially a drama. And so when uh, Diego is in the cave with the original Zorro, you know, played so well by Anthony Hopkins. Um. And he's and so Anthony Hopkins, you know, and of course, you know, Antonio Banderas's character is this sort of wastrel who's been taken under his wing, who's essentially going to be the new Zorro. And uh, Anthony Hopkins, you know, is like, ah, you know, I don't know if I can do anything with this guy. So he 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 hands them the sword, and of course he Banderas basically brandishes it and does all sorts of bravado and all this sort of thing, showing off. And Hopkins just looks at him very stone-faced and says, do you know how to use that thing? And Banderas just looks at him completely honestly, completely innocently, and says, yes, the pointy ink goes into the other man. <laughs> so that kills me every single time. And then, of course, you know, Hopkins comes back with, this is going to take a lot of work. You know, it's just, it says, you know, again, it's part of what, it's funny. It's just a funny line. Because, I mean, how else do you use a sword, right? You don't plug it in. It's pretty much got one very self-evident use and, you know, operation. But it just sets up the the, the chemistry of their relationship for the entire movie, you know. Yeah. What, uh, such the a long-suffering mentor <laughs> and the sort of, you know, buffoonish, you know, student who then, you know, eventually grows into his own and becomes, becomes a great action film. But, um yeah, I've always loved that. The pointy end goes into the other man. 
Oh my god, you do that so well. We're gonna. We, I have to. At the, <laughs> the, party the lines that I read, the lines that stick with me, you know, you tend to remember them, you know, in whole cloth with the accents and, <laughs> you know, you see the scene in your head every time you do it. But I, I hope our audience heard that because I don't know if you guys heard it as clear as I did, but he actually did it so brilliantly, saying. The I, I did. I really did. The Trust me. The if you didn't hear end, it. I really did. <laughs> the pointy end goes into the other man. <laughs> Yeah, it's like anytime someone, you know, there, whenever there's something that's just so obvious, right? Like a Captain Obvious moment, right? That's like the perfect quote to use, you know. Yeah. And um, speaking of like uh, the Mask of Zorro, like I don't know if you know, but I actually worked for David Foster, the other David Foster at Paramount Studios, and um, he was very gracious because when I I was driving him around on the golf cart. Uh, I admit uh, it, like, um, when I hit the brake, he almost flew out of the golf cart, so. <laughs> I was like, whoosh, whiplash. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, but. He'll um, remember you forever, no. Forever, yeah, yeah, right? and and so I have to I have to let people know, like, um, John, John, your name is John Edwards, and everyone, uh -huh. you are the other John Edwards, and what do people always ask you? I'm one of the many. Actually, they always ask me if I can talk to the dead. <laughs> Which I always have to remind them that that's John Edward, no S, you know. know. And so I finally got it got so it got to be so tiring that I finally just said, no, I don't. <laughs> I've stopped explaining. Oh, come on. You, you got to say yes. A lot do. of people are probably rolling over in their graves, but that's that's as close as I get to talking to the dead. Oh, you got to say yes sometimes. And but you I don't know, even know what happened to that guy. Whatever happened to him? Oh, he's probably still around. Yeah. He's got those best-selling books. That, that probably. You, you, just don't, you don't see him like you used to. Yeah. And they probably have a new TV show coming uh, out because they reboot almost every single thing on the entire world. And uh, right, so I mean, yeah, and um, so speak. Well, they should do. They should reboot it with me now because I've got. I've already got the name. Oh uh, yeah. And uh, speaking of, so you do do something interesting. You write and make cartoon characters sound really great and alive. And you know, I I, I can't try. I I can't wait to talk to you about your career path because you actually. Uh, can you let people know where you are from? I bet you they can guess it the way with your accent, but um, where are you from? I am from Lexington, Kentucky. Yes. Um, I, son of the bluegrass, which I probably at one point had much more of an accent than I do. I actually tried to, to lose it and uh, have more of a neutral voice, although I've Occasionally, people will come up to me, and they can. Some people can spot it more easily than others. But I was born and raised in Lexington, and uh, lived there. Well, I went to the University of Kentucky, got both of my degrees there. So I was there for about twenty-five years, born and raised. And then, uh, first time I ever left this, the first time I ever lived more than ten miles, probably from the hospital where I was born, was when I went to graduate school in Pittsburgh, oh. Pennsylvania. Incredible! Wow. I wonder if you know my friends, the, Ox yeah. the Oxleys. They're like they uh, own own horses out there. I mean, I'm just you. Know, <laughs> side note. I don't. Know I how. don't. Okay. Yeah. But it's incredible. <laughs> so, so we're gonna we're gonna talk to about your journey. This bluegrass boy. If I'm allowed to say these adjectives anymore, because my generation's different. So forgive me with my adjectives and and uh, speaking, because you know kindness is a two way street. So, um, how your story. <laughs> How you came from Kentucky and uh -huh. moved to Los Angeles and are doing spectacular 
cartoons and especially one of my favorite Tom and Jerry because as a kid you know I have to tell you a funny story I had the little Tom and Jerry puppet doll and it was a blue uh-huh. blue corduroy uh cat with a white stomach and he had a little string that you pulled with the little plastic um mouse and it would make noises uh-huh. and it'd be my puppet so I had that doll growing up as a kid so it brings back lots and lots of uh, memories and uh <laughs> oh, that's funny when you said it had a when you said it had a drawstring I'm like how does how does that work the cats and the mouse don't talk <laughs> well, well, the, yeah pulled, unless it's just like screaming and howling because they do that yeah the, the little plastic mouse Jerry uh-huh. right you would pull it down yep. and it, it had a little um little little box in the puppet's stomach and little square box where like the sound would come out and you put your uh-huh. hand in and like make a little puppet well, <laughs> so now oh, you that's know, cool yeah so it's one of my first puppets that i had and then then the, the voiceover broke so i think that's where i started maybe my stories because it had no more voice so i had to make up my own stories and characters and voices <laughs> Oh, see, now that's that's a good story right there, actually. <laughs> yeah. You know, out of necessity comes good story. You know. <laughs> and and that living away from children, and um, we were twenty miles, always twenty miles away from kids, so there was no one to play with. I'd be out in the woods with no one, so you'd have to make up friends and characters. And so yeah, you- <laughs> see, I was an only child, so yeah, I uh, and again, you know, I was I was at just that right age. Star Wars had come out, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, and everything. So I had all the action figures and things. And even though I had a TV in my room, which I made way too much use of, I still spent a lot of my time just making up stories, you know, replaying Star Wars episodes, um, Star Trek, whatever, and making up new story. You know, I, I would have toys like all over the house because I tell <laughs> these wild, epic stories. And so the living room was one planet and the bedroom was whatever. And you know, my parents would have people coming over and they're like, will you clean up all of the stuff? <laughs> no. And my parents were actually, they were really cool because they actually had, they knew the names for things. So it was really funny to hear my mom or my dad come through and say, son, pick up your TIE fighter and, and the, the Viper needs to go too. And tell you, you know, take the two, here's your troop transport and take that, you know. It's just you know, words you just don't expect your parents to say. Oh. Uh, and, and with the ease with which they could say them. So you sound like you have fun. cool parents. Did they know which planet did they know your the living room was planet X and your bedroom was planet I I don't know, Z X Z Y? <laughs> no, nah, I mean they you know, they knew they knew what they recognized the toys, but whatever story I was weaving, they had no idea. And there was there was a certain amount of oh, okay, whatever. Just <laughs> just do whatever you're doing and oh my gosh. Did you have there a- he is yeah. Did you have a train from one um, room to the other, like a choo-choo train? No, I did have a train, oh. but it was downstairs and it just went in one big oval. It wasn't real super sophisticated. <laughs> I was never really into trains a whole lot, so I didn't I didn't build like the whole model in the town and stuff. Although I love those things. There, are, um, back before COVID, there are a number of places up here, um, model train societies or whatever, who will set up stuff at the different museums periodically. On their fast. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled to, to see those things and take the kids to them. Um, but God, thanks to COVID, it's been so long since we've done anything like that. Oh yeah. Soon, someday again, someday yeah. soon again, we'll, we will get to all. Yeah, I love train sets too, and and the ones like an oval or circle. And the Beechwood Canyon, I lived in Beechwood Canyon, the Hollywood Hills for a long time. The Beechwood store, they would always have in the window. They would have, oh my gosh, they would have like the train going all around this little magical city. There were slopes, they were they were skiing, they were shopping, they were ice skating, there was snow. Oh I yeah, mean, right? It's, like a, it's It takes forever just to take it all in. 
which is pretty fantastic. I have a friend up here actually. Her son was is big into train or was, um, and they actually had an elevated train set in his room, and it like hung from his ceiling up over the room, and it was you know it was an oval that went the went around the room but from from the top, so you you know you'd look up at the train as it was going around, and I always thought that was like the coolest thing ever. That sounds room. cool. You know, an elevated train in the room. Yeah. <laughs> And, and speaking of, I ha- uh, we're gonna um, we're gonna go to part two. So I uh, we'll wrap it up with the train. I just saw in the paper that Rod Stewart um, needs like five shipping containers to fly his train set, one uh, Winter Wonderland Village to London. Like five shipping containers to fly his train set <laughs> from Los Angeles wow. to London. Yeah, that's a big train set. I, maybe he'll come on the show and talk about his train set or something. <laughs> Can you imagine that? He shows up at the airport and they're like, "Do you have anything to check?" I'm like, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, you know, bring it in. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know how that works. But, I, I guess oh when you're God. like super, 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 superstar, you can buy the biggest train set in the entire world and ship it around the world <laughs> i guess right and, and use and use the biggest train in the world to, to get it to places yeah or man no, i didn't even know he was a train guy actually but yeah. who knew? well so we're going to end part um part one with john edwards and um uh come back for part two because we're going to learn all about tom and jerry how um this kentucky boy has found huge success working in animation with some of the most iconic Walt Disney uh, properties such as Frozen, The Incredibles, Wreck-It Ralph, and, you know, more about his being head of story for Luminous Blue Limited up in San Francisco. So come on back. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back with part two in just a second. Thank you everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you soon.